0: all right hey everyone welcome back rob Cress here uh functional pharmacy and modern alchemist podcast so thanks for joining me again here um you know i uh, i've actually have a couple other podcasts that have been recorded they just need to be uploaded but and today um i was writing uh actually a blog post i'm like you know what this would be a decent podcast and i'll tell you why um so today um There were some hearings being held i don't know if y'all know it didn't really hit mainstream media although it was a lot of physicians around the country and um, they were basically going over what's gone on with this pandemic Um, you can border it on poorly mismanaged to intentionally disrupt in the fabric of our society I don't want to get too much into that, although, um, and I think many would agree that there is some meaning or intention behind this all that's even deeper than what uh, many would say may, you know, like it's all about the money, pharma being in control, stuff like that. So, and the reason I actually found out, I had no idea. I don't have a TV or news, um, I get most of my news off of, well, Twitter, (laughs) but my parents called me and um, it's uh, some news network, OAN or One News Network or something like that. So they were airing it. I guess my father's a big fan of my mom who doesn't usually watch it because she likes to really stay away from the political stuff. And I guess it broadcasts a lot of political information she was enthralled so you know they had the likes of dr robert malone i believe peter mccullough was there um i think the lead female physician from um frontline doctors was there i saw some snippets already come up and it really was uh, it was good um and i'm glad there's light being shed on this although some of the things i was hearing i went back to my book which i talked about on a previous episode um which you can find in amazon uh, or, and I wrote this back in 2013. Um, I am writing a revision to it or an updated version, I guess a series two for release next year on its 10 year anniversary. I never really published. I never really promoted this thing. I don't think I, you know, I said before, I was like, I don't know, I was like afraid to speak with my voice or something like that. Maybe putting my neck out there when I was still relying on, you know, a retail pharmacy job. And you know, right now, I think many would agree times are almost even more polarizing. But the truth always finds its way to the surface. So um, I think as we can be purveyors of truth, or at least uh, light shedders, shedding light on things, um, we will be uh, we'll be on the right side of history for that. I completely believe it. So anyway, the book is Whole Pharmacy: Reversing the Trends of Disease in an Overmedicated Society. And so I paged through it and I brought myself to, I think it's chapter three, sorry, chapter four, Um, page 33. The extension of sick care is the title of the chapter. So I talk about standard of care. There has been a medical standard of care which has been created, which is essentially a medical treatment guideline, where in one aspect, the intention might have been to provide guidelines for the safety and well-being of the patient. On the other hand, it can act as a set of rules and dogmas that might actually prevent optimal care for a patient due to practitioners fear of thinking outside the box or the pill bottle and stepping over the line. For instance, standard of care can be perceived on a national level, local, or even within a medical system such as a hospital. As you will learn, saliva, so this is the example I used back then. It was like, there were such happier times. As you will learn, saliva testin is the gold standard in the medical literature for assessment of hormones, such as assessing adrenal stress with cortisol. I have seen firsthand large medical practices and hospital-based symptoms not allow their practitioners to utilize these forms of testing, calling it non-evidence-based, which is absolutely false. In such cases, whether on, re, uh, rather on regional, national, or even private levels, physicians can feel as if they are sticking their necks out and can be subject to punishment if challenging the model of standard care. In the end, it's the patients who ultimately suffer. Okay, so, and I look back. This is the time I um, I was in Saint Joe, Michigan, and um, it was Lakeland Healthcare, which is now owned by Spectrum. And I remember as a physician who had a practice, she, out, she ran her practice a few doors down from my pharmacy and I was talking to her. And she actually told me, this is very interesting, that essentially that hospital at the time, so once again, I don't have you saying it, take this with a grain of salt would pretty much guarantee her any loan for her practice as long as she committed agreed, promised to send all testing to them. So patients to receive all their medical tests, scans to that hospital because there's a lot of money in it. So once again, we can always say we can start here, follow the money. So that's what sculpts standard of care. Now, even when we say about writing a prescription in an off-label fashion, because I'm bringing this to the hearing now, when we saw in the hearings today and what we already known all along is that up until now, for the most part, there's no hospital that literally has a protocol to treat for COVID. They don't treat COVID. They haven't treated COVID. They waited for people to get sick. And when there was prescribers that would treat COVID, there's a lot of instances out there where those prescribers were attacked, had their license challenged, or even fired from their job. And it could have been that they tried to treat him with a ZPAC. It could have been that they tried to treat him with something like ivermectin. Ivermectin would have been an off-label. Obviously, any of this would have been off-label because COVID doesn't have, like, everything's experimental here, right? So that was very interesting. Although, isn't that a difference right now? Because, so what would be the ramifications of the example I spoke about in 2013? Well, someone wouldn't have their adrenals assessed properly. Now, that's a big deal. Like, I don't want it to be like boo-hoo, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal because adrenal stress is a major risk factor in elevated cortisol levels for a lot of other disease states, including inflammation, heart disease, and things that can ultimately kill you. Now, we go to today with what's going on with COVID, and you've got a hospital system who, well, first of all, might get upwards of two or $3,000 for a positive COVID patient being admitted, and then upwards of a number of th- up to $30,000, as has been reported, for a patient that needs to be put on a ventilator. If, and when you're on a ventilator, well, honestly, the chances of survival or survival are are very slim at that point. Now, what if we would have treated? What if these patients would have been treated right out of the get-go? What if they use multi-drug therapy, multi-purpose uh, therapy? What if they used COVID, Zithromax, um, fluvoxamine, zinc, quercetin, D, all the tools at our arsenal? I'm not excluding anything to be drug bad, nutrient bad, but why don't we give the patients what they need in and assess them individually? Well, doctors were afraid, it didn't happen, and a lot of people have died because of that. So that's kind of interesting. How about this one, burying studies on publication bias, the conventional medical system, this is page 34, the conventional medical system often hides behind what is called evidence-based medicine, which is basically approved drugs and treatments based off scientific studies. So if a drug is approved by the FDA, one would assume that every study done on this drug would be submitted to the FDA for review, as well as make it to peer-reviewed literature. Thus, the FDA and active practitioners would have access to and be able to make its most informed decision if this drug really serves a unique purpose in treatment, that it is safe and effective and appropriate for the patients. You might be surprised to find out that this is often not the case. Publication bias exists in all areas of medicine and, believed it or not, one hand uh, believe and believe it or not, one half of all trials performed on drugs to be presented to the FDA for approval go missing in action and are not available to other practitioners or published in peer-reviewed sources of literature. So a lot of practitioners we don't we don't get to see the studies where it shows a drug is an absolute failure. They get to bury that shit. Studies get buried due to negative outcomes, which, if practitioners knew more about, would not bode well for the approval and prescribing of the drug. It is common practice that studies with positive findings are twice as likely to get published as studies with negative findings. A lot of this was uh, from Dr. Ben Goldacre from Bad Farmer. Um, another example, Viox, blood bl- blockbuster anti-inflammatory drug. Um, the manufacturer, Merck, agreed It was pulled off the market and they agreed to pay a $4.85 billion settlement to nearly 27,000 lawsuits that claimed the arthritis drug caused heart attacks and strokes. There were tens of thousands of people that are reported to die from this, folks. And what happens is we had the studies. The studies where well, they had the studies that showed the elevated risk of heart disease. Um, let's see. Vigor found a five-fold increase in heart attack risk and high dose. Two years later, a large epidemiological study reported a two-fold increase in heart um, heart attack and risk with high dose VIAX. All the while the drug stayed on the market and doctors continued to prescribe. There was some burying and not being um, forthright about literature here, folks. And look what happened. So in this book, and Tamiflu, remember that one? Remember when we used to have the seasonal flu? Um, I was always a fan of oscilococcinum, always will be. Tamiflu, I've seen um, a lot of uh, illnesses with it, side effects, even psychiatric type, neurological type stuff also. But um, basically over the past, or it says right here, um, below are some examples of agencies recommending Tamiflu without full data being researched and vetted due to the fact that the majority of the drug makers, phase three treatment trials remain unpublished over a decade after completion. Okay, well, first of all, hold that thought. I want to go back to the Vioxx. And what did we learn today in these hearings? Well, we also learned that a lot of the negative side effects and reported side effects of the COVID vaccine, as well as other vaccines to the VAERS system, went unreported or buried. In the initial trials of some of these drug companies with their COVID vaccines, uh, one little girl, she had major stomach issues, major side effects. She's wheelchair bound to this point. They called it a stomach ache. That was a side effect. And they took her out of the trial so it wouldn't be counted. It's sick shit, folks. So now back to Tamiflu, Um, right here, phase three unpublished over a decade after completion. So the World Health Organization recommends Tamiflu, but has not vetted the data, the data. European Medical Agency approved Tamiflu, but did not review the full Tamiflu data set. CDC and ECDC encouraged the use of stockpiling of Tamiflu, but did not vet the Tamiflu data. Folks, what we're going through right now is not new. We've been here before, it's just more aggressive, it's more egregious, and it's more deadly. That's what's being seen right now. This is what's being experienced because the same thing has happened right now. We're talking about an experimental drug that's being mandated and forced on populations all around the globe. It has not been properly tested. It has not been properly vetted. One of the major manufacturers has asked for an extension of 87 years or something like that, 70, I don't know, 70, 80 years before they publish their data that was overturned last week, or it wasn't agreed to. And they said they have eight months. So eight months is going to buy them a lot of effing cash, folks. So you can always say, follow the money. But I can't... To me... It's not contrable to think someone would, in their right mind or in their right conscience, actually do something so harmful for the human race, for other humans, for animals, for dogs. Let's talk about Dr. Fauci and the experiments he did on beagles, for God's sake. Who are these people? Good Lord. But it's just unconscionable that they would do this just for the almighty dollar, just for the the cash they prey on, their God. That's not it. There's something else at hand, folks. I believe there has to be. And it's not good. So (laughs) we're 13 minutes into this. Um, I think we're going to finish up there because that's all I wanted to do. I would suggest get my book. I love it. Whole Pharmacy. I'll post this. Um, It's real shit, you know, and it's just uh, they say history doesn't repeat itself, but. Um, I think it just, it's always been here. It just gets louder as we move along. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Rob Kress, Functional Lifestyle Pharmacist and the Modern Alchemist at Functional Pharmacy Podcast. We'll be back to see you in a day or two.